We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button or, of course, listen to old archive shows. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Good, Good morning, Scott. Scott. How did the seminar you. go? Hey. Always good to have our mm-hmm. listeners show up, and mm-hmm. you know, it's always good to put a, a you know a name to a face too, and and uh, lots do of great questions. Up, do they mix up which one's Andy, which one's Don? That's I right. thought you were Don. I thought you were Andy. <laughs> they seem to pick up the the voice. Really I'm quick. the good looking one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. That's it. <laughs> no, it was great. Thank you. Thanks for asking. And uh, it's uh, like I said, um, a lot of it is when you see people at the seminars, they've obviously listened to the show. Mm-hmm. There's the odd ones that haven't because they've right. gone through the advertisement route, but most of them listen to the show and. And you can always tell because they yeah. got very good questions. Yeah, and probably a bit of history there. They've been they know what you've talked about exactly. in the past and such. All right, talking about the counterintuitive charm of buying and holding. My goodness, that sounds complex. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> this is actually an investment strategy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as much as a lot of people think they have to make stuff happen by moving things around, if they simply just bought the market and did nothing, bought it and held it, mm-hmm. so buying and holding, versus trying to come up with some kind of system. And I hear this, I don't know, Andy, about you, but I've heard it so many times over the years, there's always this new system that I'm gonna follow and it's gonna make a lot of money. Mm. <laughs> That's right. You know, uh, oh, well, you know, trading, of course, like day traders, there are, there are periods of time when you see day traders mm-hmm. are all the rage because people are making oh, yeah. money hand over fist when the mm-hmm. markets are going up. So there's just one example of a strategy that somebody might think is a, is a viable strategy. But for the most part, that doesn't happen with their pensions if they're lucky to have one. So mm-hmm. why would they think that that's what they should do with their own? It's funny. I, it's really, we are not wired to invest money and or, be good investors. Or we, keep our hands as off humans, As humans, we are not wired. When, when things you know, are going up too much, we want to, there's this feeling of greed quite often. Yeah. And we want to get more. When things get scary, we, we want to flee. And you go back... You know, investing's only been around for what, say a few hundred, four or 500 years maybe. I'm mm. not quite sure exactly, but humans been around a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And the effects of survival has nothing to do with how to be a good investor. Yeah. And it, they just don't mix. Yeah. And we are not wired. So, you know, headlines scare people. They want to take it away. And ownership, owning, owning good companies that have literally driven mm-hmm. the country to you know, a fairly wealthy society as we have here in Canada, US, Europe, etc. It's based on ownership. Owning your own house is always a good investment too. People talk about that. Yet it's kind of funny when you talk about the stock market, for a lot of people, it's, oh, it's scary. Hmm. Well, then you say, well, it's Coca-Cola. Oh, that's a good company. Well, that's a stock market. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So one, one uh, kind of, one index is called the S&P 500. And it's a very... You know, it's 500 of the largest companies in the U.S. And it's probably, it's a better way to look at it rather than the Canadian because it's a little bit more diversified. Canada is, is certainly more central to three sectors. Um, banks mm-hmm. is about one third. Oils and metals is the other third. And telecommunications and some tech and um, basically everything else mm-hmm. falls in the other third. So we're very heavy in, in the energy sector and the bank sector. Where the U.S., a lot more spread around. So it's a lot more diversified. Yeah. So using that, there's this one analysis this person said, and he says, well, why don't we look at you know, three very common themes people look at? And one would be, if inflation is greater than 4%, don't buy into the market, mm-hmm. okay? 
because you don't want to, you know, have all your profits inflated away, basically. So this is currently, right now, inflation is about, in the U.S., is about 1.9%. Yeah. Canada's not too, too much different. So based on that condition, we're good. We'd be buying the market right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so keep investing. But if it's above, if inflation's above 4%. Mm-hmm. It's called the coast is clear. And this is kind of, and again, all these systems always change. Yeah. I, I know we know the old days in the 1980s where inflation was 13%. Right, right. And according to that, you wouldn't buy. Yeah, the numbers would be different. Yeah, yeah. now the numbers so would be different. So at a certain point, it's, it's not worth it. Exactly. And this is what they, and again, this is not what we're suggesting. This is called the coast is clear method of investing mm-hmm. that this person came up with. Oh, okay. Okay, so there's three things that they had to say, okay, you met these criteria. And one was, where's inflation? Well, right now it's uh, under 4%, we're all good. Step number two, avoid recessions. So if unemployment has to be below 6%, mm. or it at least has to be falling from the year before. So if unemployment was eight, but it was nine last year, you could still go get into it. Okay, so that was the second criteria. Well, right now, unemployment rate is extremely low. It's about four and a half, five percent. So it's not a problem there. Currently, you could buy into the market based on this coast is clear. However, it's kind of interesting. If you go back in time, in like November, um, November in 2010, the unemployment rate was 9.8%. And based on that, you looked at it the year before and it was around 10% the year before. It hadn't changed for a year. So October 2009, right to November 2010, you would not buy the stock market, mm-hmm. okay? And that was a fantastic time to buy the stock market mm. because things were rebounding from that great 08, 09 recession right. we had. But according to this, Coast is clear, it's still right. a little risky, so yeah. let's stay out of that. And But currently, step one, low inflation, we're, we're good. Second, low, uh, low unemployment, we're good, so right now, Two out of three are in. Avoid overvalued markets. <clears throat> so what you have to do is you look at the trailing Standard Poor's 500 um, PE multiples. Now PE multiple is the price earnings multiple. It's basically basically showing how how long it would take for you to get all your money back based mm-hmm. on the earnings. So if it if you had a thousand dollars in the market, the earnings would pay it all back within has to be within 17 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if the S&P, so right now, the, uh, his, his suggestion, it would have to be 17 or less, which the average has been 15 and a half since the stock market. And the median since 1950 has been 14 and a half. So if it actually got up to 17, it would be considered a little bit pricey. Yeah. Well, currently, the S&P is trading at 25.42. It's way above way above that 17. So based on that, yeah, you got the other two right, but you didn't get the third one right. So you would not invest in this. It's too expensive. Stay clear. Wait till the PE ratio drops down to under 17. Now, the cool the cool thing is I, I looked back and I said, when was the last time it, it was below 17? And it was at 16.8 December 1st, 2012. So you would have had to have not been in the market for the last five years mm-hmm. based on this standard, um, based on this S&P ratio. And at that time, the stock market was at, was the index was at 1644. Currently it's at 2548. So you've missed about 60% return mm-hmm. in those years. Yeah. 
because that one there, everybody says it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. Well, it actually worked out to about 11% per year return. So you missed out on all these returns just because you looked at it being too expensive. Mm -hmm. And so they actually went back in time. Well, that's only uh, the last five years. Let's go back a little further. So we went back to say 1980, um, the coast is, and you put $100 in. The coast is clear portfolio when you actually had it invested only if those three criteria was met or if it wasn't met, you put it in cash and you just waited. Well, you would have, your $100 would have grown since 1980 to $700. Not too bad, sevenfold. But if you just left it in the market, went to sleep, and since 1980, so that's uh, 27 years ago, you had had, and sorry, and th this, by the way, was dated now 2012. You'd have $1,200, 12 times the money versus seven times the money. And interesting, it really hasn't, you wouldn't be, you'd be sitting in cash for the last five years. Mm -hmm. And it would have gone up another 60% since then because it, all these criteria weren't met. Now, again, that's only the last 37 years. Mm -hmm. Let's go back, say, 1948. If you use the Coast is Clear method, your $100 would have grown to 3500 35 times your money. Hey, that's awesome. Well, if you just left it invested, you would have grown to 8000 mm. Okay, more than double. And the whole point here is no matter what systems we hear, uh, and there's so many technical analysis being done. I know uh, going back to my McMaster days, they, they used to talk about technical analysis, um, you know, sell in May and go away. Mm -hmm. And there would be <laughs> yeah. the summer rally and, and the Santa Claus rally and the blue moon. They had all these different types of systems. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, they never work. And this one here, the reason they came out with this, and it was kind of interesting, this is 2012. This is just after the Great Recession of 2008 and nine. So people were thinking, okay, can I really invest now? And that's why they call it the coast is clear. Yes, I can. Yeah. I don't want to go through this 08, 09 anymore because mm. it was just too painful. And so digging this up, I thought, well, it's funny how we go through our own emotional cycles. So the idea of calling it the coast is clear, okay, good, I'm calm. I can put my money back in now. Well, based on these three criteria, I'm sure back in 2012, they would have thought, well, it's never going to get really past 17 times mm -hmm. likely. Unemployment was at quite high at the time. It was still coming down dramatically, but unemployment was above 6% at the time. So they were still fearful. And based on that fear, they wouldn't have invested. Yeah. And these three criteria made it, made it look scientific. At the end of the day, these are simply ways to justify being fearful. And, and again, letting humans rationalize how not to invest. Do that many, do, do many of, uh, you know, not just your clients, but clients in period, uh, clients uh, overall period, uh, do they interfere with it? Do they get antsy and pull out or go in? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you'd think once you get a financial planner, the idea is you educate yourself yeah, and, then, and then you let them drive. Yeah, I think it does. Is there that many of them that are going, no, 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 and fighting you for well, the Well, it, it, when things are soaring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. There's no, there's no call <laughs> saying, yeah. Yeah. you know. Great uh, job. It's mm -hmm. our job. Yeah, it's our job to, to yeah. deal with that aspect of it. And we'll talk about that in a bit too. But, I, um, but when things are extremely negative, that will drive a lot of emotion, and then the calls will come during a period of decline in yeah. the market, where people are seeing their their net worth being eroded 
because of dropping stock market. And now they feel it's time to do something or make a call anyway. So do would half leave it and half be a little mm. concerned? Yeah. Is that too much, too big a number? Well, well, yeah. No, I would say it's way too big, actually. Yeah. I think I, I find the ones that are dealing with... The majority with, would leave it, I exactly. would guess. Exactly. Yeah. During the 0809 <laughs> crisis, I, I said to my assistant at the time, we'll probably lose seven clients. Yeah. And that would be the ones that would just had enough, yeah. couldn't take it any longer. Unfortunately, those were usually right near the bottom. Yeah. And the banks were ruthless at the time, suggesting to people that, oh, your portfolio is too risky, yeah. you should move it to a GIC. Yeah. Well, it was turned out to be, of course, the biggest mistake they could have made yeah. because they're selling low and then locking in that loss. And human nature is they want to they want to rationalize this. It feels good to do it, but it's the wrong thing I to do. I got to do something. You got to <laughs> do something. And sitting there, buying and holding yeah. wasn't the option. So. You know, for uh, this really applies to um, to particularly people who do not have a financial planner mm-hmm. because now they're right. left to right. their own devices right. Makes sense. Yeah. where they're trying to look after their own money and now they're thinking, well, should I sell? Should I keep it? Should mm-hmm. I just leave it? And that's where a financial planner really is worth their salt. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about in the next section. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call, leave a message now. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And you can also check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's uh, andyanddon.com. Uh, talking about staying balanced in a soaring economy. Yeah. You know, this year, 2017, we've been all all been watching the stock market, of course, and mm-hmm. that that's a, makes a big difference in terms of our clients' success when you're looking at how their money is going to grow. And for example, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is the big 30 companies in the U.S., uh, January 1st till uh, this week, it's up 15% year to date, 15%. And we're still not finished the year. Um, Now that compare that to the S&P TSX, which is the Toronto stock market uh, measurement, and in January 1st, it was sitting around 15,400. This week, it's sitting at about 15,770. So it's up 2.4%. Mm-hmm. So U.S. market up 15, Canadian market up 2.4. Now, what's interesting too, the peak, the peak of the Canadian market was right around February 21st. And what happens at the end of February every year? RSP. People no, put right. money into RSPs. Right, yeah. So the peak was 15,922. 15, so it's actually down about uh, 2% from the peak as well. Mm. So it's been sort of a lackluster year in terms of the Toronto stock market. The S&P 500, which Don was talking about earlier, started the year at 22.58. It's at 25.55. It's up 13%. And the NASDAQ, which is the tech sector of the of the overall market, is up 22% year to date. So fantastic results there. So why is all this happening? And what are some of the factors? Well, everybody seems to be appointing towards Donald Trump's pro-growth policies as one of the key factors. And really what the, probably the more the reality is when we look at it and we talk to our investment professionals as well, since the 2008 global financial crisis, we've basically been on a steady rise. There's been ups and downs along the way, and there's been certain sectors that have performed poorly during that time period, but others have taken over and offset that. So overall, the success in the stock market since 2008 has been pretty darn good. And 
we're sort of, the, the feeling or the sense today is that we're in this sort of Goldilocks scenario. We've got low interest rates worldwide. We've got low inflation worldwide. And we have a synchronized economic pattern of growth right now around the world where all economies are actually starting to, to provide growth and, mm-hmm. and increasing their productivity as well. So, you know, this is probably an environment which we see succeeding or continuing for the next two to three years. Mm -hmm. So it's been a really positive thing. Now, the, the reality then is that if you were an individual who basically didn't do anything in terms of your portfolio for the last 10 years, you know, if you were 50% stocks and 50% bonds 10 years ago, you're probably more like 70-30 today. Mm-hmm. So your portfolio has easily gotten far out of, out of balance in terms of your normal normal risk profile. And, and many sectors have changed as well. And we were just looking at um, the S&P 500, again, that U.S. measurement, the energy sector, and that's one of our big sectors here in the Toronto market, the energy sector back in 2008 was 13.3% of the index. It made up 13.3%. That's dropped to only 7.6% of the index. Technology, the tech sector of the S&P 500 has gone from 15% up to 20%. So again, just left to the own devices, if you didn't touch anything, what you're seeing is you're getting overweight in tech stocks, you're getting underweight in energy, and you're overweight stocks overall. So how do we get ourselves back on track? What should we be doing right now in the process of sort of rebalancing or staying balanced during soaring markets is really what the key thing is. And I think that the the trouble though is that many of us are uncertain about making those decisions. Do it should I pull the trigger? Should I wait? Should I just ignore it or do nothing? And really, you know, we know it comes down to having a plan. There's no doubt about it. And it comes down to what's your asset allocation model, what is the tax effect of making your changes. What's the time frame for your goals? Is you know, is it getting closer? You know, I have a client, for example, their goal over the last several years has been to buy a second property. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're getting close to the point where they've got enough. Maybe it makes sense to pull back in terms of their risk. So it takes some money off the table, right? right? Because we're but if you're in retirement, if you're planning for retirement, you're still going gung-ho, right? Mm-hmm. You still want to make sure your money's growing as effectively as possible for the years to come. So there was a great article that uh, Investors Group did a research piece on, and it really is about what we call our cognitive biases. And Don was talking a little bit about this before, but the concept of buy and hold is an idea, right? But we have, uh, it's been researched that we, on average, and some of these are very, you know, very specific or very minute in terms of the big scheme of things, but we probably have about 180 different biases that have been identified, and they're grouped into about 20 different general categories. So imagine on our daily basis when we're making decisions, we've got about 180 biases that are kind of impacting what we're going to do in terms of, um, you know, our, even our investment portfolio as well. So the, the, the concept I want to talk about then is what are those, what are the major 10 biases that we deal with and what are some of the steps that we can help to uh, create some more objectivity in your investment portfolio? So the first one is what we call anchoring. And anchoring is a bias where you're, you're sort of captured or stuck by something that's most recently happened. Anchoring, you, you get anchored when you're buying cars, you get anchored when you're all sorts of products and services that we purchase. And there was a study done where a professor asked his students, a group of people, to write down the last two numbers of their cell phone. 
write down the last two numbers of your cell phone. The second question was, how many African countries are in the, are in the United Nations? Write down your last two numbers of your cell phone. Now guess how many countries are in the United Nations from Africa. And in all cases, anybody whose last two numbers were high numbers, like 96 or you know 88 versus somebody who had 12, everybody who had a high number always selected more African countries. Anybody who had low number selected less African countries in the United Nations. So they were anchored by that number, just having written it down in their brain. It was as simple as that. The same thing was done here in Canada when we asked them uh, last two numbers of your social insurance number, last two numbers of your social insurance number. Those with high numbers then in a, in a fictional auction game were actually likely to bid twice as much Hmm twice as much as somebody with low numbers that they wrote down before the auction began. So again, anchoring is something that creates a bias in us when we begin to think about our investment decision. The, the, and what was even more fascinating with anchoring is that they then told the group exactly what the outcome was. So those with high numbers picked higher African countries, et cetera, more African countries. They did the test again, the exact same results, <laughs> even though they knew. <laughs> Uh, number two is which, which uh, kind of shows even if you know what you should be doing you still can't that's right it, it's you so ingrained can't, you in you can't protect yourself from yeah. that that's even with the knowledge yeah. it's not as simple as that um, confirmation and uh, commitment bias confirmation and commitment bias and that is um, a function of where we sort of have the idea that we get information and we only focus on information that confirms what we already want to believe. Yeah. And this is particularly true over Thanksgiving when you have discussions about politics yeah. and everybody has ideas or concepts about their political position. They're very interested in hearing all the things that support it, yeah. but when they hear facts or information about things that don't support it, they tend to discount those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Number three is the clustering illusion. And a clustering illusion is a bias where when we've seen, for example, if stocks were to go up 15 days in a row, we would believe that there's a cluster, there's an effect going on and that we can ride that momentum, right? It's going to continue in some ways. And this is, this is illustrated in the heads and tails uh, uh, experiment where we all know that there's only two outcomes with heads mm-hmm. and tails. It's going to be one or the other. But in a series of experiments, when you run, keep doing the flips, if you were to get heads, 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 the majority of people would now think it has to be tails. It's got to be tails. Whereas the odds are, of course, are exactly the same. It could be heads again. So clustering is the clustering illusion. Uh, The next bias is what we call the recency. And the recency bias is kind of the opposite of anchoring. So it's something that we've caught recently versus something that right. we anchored to from a long, from yeah. previous or a long time ago. And this tends to be where we extrapolate, um, ext- extrapolate the current trend, you know, something that's been going on. We kind of think that's what's going to continue. Whatever's hot. Whatever's hot. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, number five is the availability bi- uh, bias and availability bias really comes down to the overload in our brain. Today, there are thousands of mutual funds that you could pick from and, and the, 
the process of actually trying to research those and understand them uh, is so overwhelming that we tend to be biased by advertisements, friends, input from friends, input from media or social media. So that availability bias, there's so much available to us, so many choices that it's overwhelming to our brain. We have to look for a shortcut Mm -hmm. to get there to the answer. Um, Number six is the status quo bias status quo and this is um uh this is a where we sort of fall in love with something right and uh it's it's the ikea effect too in the status quo bias what's called the ikea effect is that if you build something or you create something you have more bias to it being better Mm. or wanting to keep it. Mm. And so, for example, if someone's building their own stock portfolio and they've designed it, they've created it, they're going to be more, more pride, pride yeah. in that. Yeah. So that status quo bias, we just want to keep it because we think it has more value. It's and, something and, we And have, have you seen any of this IKEA furniture after your kids went to university? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody that's, really wanted to keep it. I think that's the premise, right? <laughs> <laughs> I always lose the damn. Don't ever try to move the damn stuff. No, I always lose the darn key. (laughs) That's right. I need to tear it apart. I can't. I got it together. I can't take it apart. When it comes apart, it doesn't always go back together the same way. (laughs) Um, Number seven is. uh, oh, just coming back to that status quo uh, bias, and I was sort of say if you built your own stock portfolio and you kind of get married to it, and really what in in our world that's you know that's like saying well I'm going to be better at it than a professional, mm-hmm. and and the analysis in this research piece was if you uh, if you went head to head on the basketball court on a pickup game against a professional basketball player how well do you think you would do? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. And But yet, for our stock picking, we think we can beat the professionals, yeah. right? We yeah. can do better than the professionals. Yeah. Um, number this kind of goes with this whole idea of, of a system, too, that we talked that's about right. earlier. That's well, here's right. a system that will definitely beat the market. Yeah. yeah. Or definitely yeah. be, and, and you know what? It will, it always does until it doesn't. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the op, uh, number, number seven is the uh, optimism bias and optimism or overconfidence bias. Mm -hmm. And so I love this. Uh, um, How many drivers think they're above average? Of course, the answer should be 50%. (laughs) Because half are below and half are above. But 80% of us think we're better above average drivers. So we're certainly overconfident in terms of our skills and our ability to do things. And that optimism or that optimism bias makes us uh, vulnerable. Don was talking about, you know, trading before and how that impacts the, your, your behavior and your results. And there's a, um, an organization called Dalbar who does research on investor behavior. And they quoted or they sort of coined the phrase, the investor behavior penalty. And the investor behavior penalty is the difference between what a mutual fund's performance has been if left by itself, mm-hmm. versus the actual individual investors' behavior that when they hold that investment, what was their rate of return? Mm-hmm. And the study that they quoted was, um, so this is from 1996 to 2015, and during that 15-year period, the average stock fund uh, went up 8.2%. The average individual in that same stock fund averaged 4.7%, a difference of 3.5% per year. If you just extrapolate that over over 15 years, you know, if you had 100 grand, if you just left it, 
you would have had 326,000. Hmm. The trader who's moving money around and thinking they're, they've got a better they're system, adding value. adding value, only ended up with 199,000, wow. a hmm. difference okay. of $127,000 over that time period. If you were so good at it, though, why would you just not be in the business? <laughs> I mean, if you're a good doctor, you'll do that. If you, like, you know, if you have the interest in that, why would you not yeah. pursue it? But think about it. You and literally to be a professional in anything, the amount of time exactly. that you have to oh, invest, absolutely. and the commitment to it day in and day out yeah. to stay good at it yeah. is is absolutely critical. Uh, number eight, the hindsight bias. Hindsight bias. So. 2008, the financial crisis, who predicted that, yeah. right? Who actually was able to predict that? But now, today, when we look back on it, we're able to say, oh, well, it seems so obvious. There were so many signs. We, we see those signs. It was huh. this sign and that sign. We, we should have known it. And so we think that things are predictable. We tend to think that things are predictable. And, um, and therefore, we would have done better. And, and so we end up with regret. And the regret is that, you know, how did we miss it? Why didn't we know? How come we didn't get it? And so what happens this is, is that people, tough. <laughs> people give up. People yeah, give up. Yeah. And a classic yeah. example of that is where a client will say, well, I was in the stock market once and yeah. I lost money. I should have known better. You know, I should have gotten out. I'm never yeah. going in it again. And right? even now you're saying this is the most hated bull market in history. Mm. So, many, so much money sitting on the sidelines, sitting in bank accounts, um, certificates, and they're missing one of the best runs we've had in five years, like in the last five years, of you know practically doubling your money mm-hmm. in the last five or six years. And it's, that's why it's the most hated. Everybody's looking at it saying, I wish I was in it, but <laughs> I'm right. not. Yeah. I got two more biases to go. And the next one is called the outcome bias. And uh, the outcome bias is when we have a success, we think, boy, we made some good decisions. And we're not very good at analyzing it. For example, you go to Vegas and you come back and you won a thousand bucks. But does that still mean that gambling was a good decision? <laughs> right, right. Everybody so talk to wins money the, at the Vegas. Outcome, sure. The outcome bias is when it works, we think it's the best decision, yeah. but not necessarily true. And if it doesn't work, they don't tell you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the final one on the biases is what we call our blind spot biases. And, and I don't think this is true, but apparently we can see biases in others very easily, but not so well in yeah, ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're able to pick out the biases in somebody else, but we cannot see them in ourselves. We are planning your financial uh, future. Uh, I'm Scott Thompson, Andy like Lister, and Don Fox. Uh, we are, are planning your financial, financial future. Uh, Andy Check Lister out the website, Andy and Don, all one You can listen to the right shows there as well. You can ask questions via the list listener inquiry button. And of course, you can call, leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're talking about your biases and how do we fix them? Yeah, this is, uh, you know, we've learned all the things that, that prevent us from being successful. So what are some of the things that we have to pull back and help us be a little more successful at this? Uh, number one, education. Reading books, it, it, you know, it, you can be careful. You don't want to have too much information, but reading books and being informed is certainly going to help us be more educated we are. That's number one. Number two, don't chase trends. Okay. Number three, uh, seek out alternative scenarios. So what would something look like if it didn't go well? Mm-hmm. You know, and some people like right now we're seeing a lot of people on the real, on the real estate market thinking I'm going to buy a property and yeah. rent it, or I'm going to buy it and flip it. What would happen if it didn't? What would happen mm-hmm. if the opposite happened? Pin- painting that scenario. Uh, number four, keep an investment log. 
So if you have some investment ideas and you write them down, see what were hits and what were misses. That's so you can idea. get a kind of yeah. trend to see how you're doing. Number five, don't react to noise. And noise in the media is designed to excite people and incite people. Mm-hmm. It's not really there about educating. It's all about ratings, et cetera. So the noise day-to-day, many advisors and professionals say don't even read the financial papers, don't listen to financial news shows like ours. <laughs> <laughs> So much for that whole edu- so much for that whole education aspect. I know. Uh, well, we never try to predict the market. That's true. No, no. Uh, number six, trade less. All right. Every buy and sell that happens in the stock market, it's impossible for both of you to be right. Because when you're selling something, you're thinking it's going to go down. If you're buying something, you think it's going to go up. So think about trading. It's a cost of trading, but you should trade less. Hmm. Um, Number seven, use trading rules. Now, Don was talking about these kind of ideas or trends or strategies. It's not more about that. It's about setting some guidelines. When should I sell? When should I buy? What about profitability of a company? And as those targets are hit, take the emotions out of it. Uh, don't brag about your great stock or fun pick. Now, I was like jinxing it. This is, this is what we call the endowment effect. And the endowment effect is when you own something like that. And again, it's like the Ikea thing. If you talk about it and you've shared the success, you're going to be really in favor of holding on to that mm-hmm. no matter what. Cause you're selling it. Cause you're selling, yeah. you've told everybody yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, and finally, you've endorsed it, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Finally, use your advisor, use your advisor, get, it's a second set of eyes. It's some, it's a professional who's in the industry and is going to be able to give you, uh, I think really good advice in terms of how you should be investing and what are some of the things that are priorities in your financial life. So that's a quick issue on our biases and how do we become a little more successful in the stock market? And today, I think really we're coming back to how should you be rebalancing your portfolio? And I think that's a discussion everyone should be having with their advisor. Hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, a little education is great. It gives you these questions to ask to your advisor. So you, you come a little more educated and it's, you know, absolutely you have to trust the person you're working with. Yeah. And those very similar kind of relationship as, as a doctor, mm-hmm. you have to make sure that you feel comfortable, that they're giving you good advice, that their self-interest mm-hmm. is in line with yours. Okay, they're only thinking about them first. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely important. And that's where education, listening to shows like this or, or you know, reading the Financial Times or whatever, sometimes simply enough just to say, okay, uh, what's going on right now? I read this thing about taxing corporations. Mm-hmm. How does that affect me? Oh. Now, the latest one, which I found was quite, kind of funny, and I think maybe, Scott, uh, you may find this a little bit amusing, was taxing employing b- employee benefits. Oh, we didn't talk about this at all this week. <laughs> <laughs> employee <laughs> discounts. A Starbucks gets a free coffee. When you work there, you get a free coffee. Yeah. It's not yeah. free anymore. No, no, no. Apparently, this originated from the Can- a Canada Revenue Agency, not the government. And I'm thinking, well, how do they come up with this policy? But apparently, that's what their gig is. So yeah, it originally it originally came from the CRA, and then we'll see if the government it sounds like on. someone's deflecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, sounds like yeah. oh, that wasn't me. Maybe. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look at these, and I, I think half half the benefit of working for specific companies, particularly in retail, where it's a fairly low income sure. already, is what do I get? Do I get a yeah. discount at the place? Sure. Um, a lot of a lot of the you know guys in. And, and ladies, when they, they, whatever clothing store they may mm-hmm. work at or a sports store, the part of the thing is, well, at least I can get those skates or at least I can get yeah. that, you know, that, that's right. th- th- yeah. that dress or what have you. And 
it's a non-taxable. It's just a discount. But even look at, you know, we're talking about retail, and we did this this week, yeah. talking about retail and stuff. But, I mean, you look at anything like you hear about Ford employee pricing. Yeah. Right. You can do you can even get it in things as large as vehicles. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, true. A, that's, a, that's a substantial amount of money. Well, and when, if, you're, if you're an employee at a bank or something, you, may, you get a discount on Bingo. your interest rate mm-hmm. when absolutely. you get a mortgage. Absolutely. At Bell Canada, you get a, a deal on your yeah. own cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know, all these type of, and that's kind of the perk. Yeah. And, and whether it's taxable. Now, the problem with this, though, and let's say, and my son worked at a sports store, mm-hmm. and let's say he wanted to buy a hockey stick, and, and there's a little bit of markup on hockey sticks, yeah. as you might know, and a $300 hockey stick, he might be able to get as an employee for two for $100. Mm-hmm. So you'd think, okay, well, then $200 would be added to his income. Well, the least what they've done here is they say, no, that's not the case. If it's available to the public on sale during the course of the year. What does that mean? How does yeah. that change anything? Well, now. <laughs> like, really? What that's is that? tricky. Who cares? Plus, you have to you have to watch when the sale yeah, was right. during that's that right. course of the year. But let's say it was on sale for $200 through the year sometime. It could have been months after you mm-hmm. made the purchase. Well, now, the taxable benefit for the employer, or employee, rather, would be $100. So here's my son working part-time at a sports store. He buys a stick for $100. Next thing you know, he, he gets a, a taxable benefit for $100. Well, that doesn't sound like much. Mm. Well, that $100 added to his income, let's say you're in the lowest tax bracket. So you're in the 20% tax bracket. Well, now you pay $20 tax mm-hmm. for, this ho- ho- you know, for this hockey stick. For that benefit. For this benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing with benefits is you don't actually get money. Mm-hmm. So they're not giving you the money and you take yeah. some of that money off. So you're left with money. No, you got a thing. Mm-hmm. So now you got to make money to pay for the taxable benefit. Yeah. So, <laughs> so in this case, <laughs> at today's minimum wage is $11 and change. You, I know it's going up, but he would have to work almost two hours mm-hmm. extra as a, as a student or, or, or as a full-time. It doesn't matter which, what status you're in to pay the tax on this stick. Yeah. And, and think of the paperwork for the companies that have to administer all of this. Well, oh that's the other part. Will they even then um, have no, employee they'll benefits? They'll cancel the program. Because too that is work. too much work. Yeah. And so, again, when you start to look at trying to find uh, someplace to get more tax revenue, I think this isn't a good one. Sunny ways. <laughs> uh, we are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are with us from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website, uh, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, the cost of a good retirement. How much is this going to set us back here? Yes, it's always interesting. Everybody seems to overestimate the rate of return they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they always underestimate how long they're going to live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a real double whammy. You know, they're going to think, oh, I'll never make 80. Next thing you know, the fastest growing sector of the population is now over 100. Yeah. Okay. And then they expect these high returns. Well, interest rates are so low. It's And that's the part that's really funny is GIC rates are, you know, around 2%. Mm. And inflation is 2%. So your rate or your real rate of return is zero. Yeah. And that's before the tax man gets any of this. Mm-hmm. Because if it's non-registered investments, you pay tax in the interest. The yep. worst case scenario, you lose 20%. Mm-hmm. And of course, a lot of the retirees, they're getting Canada Pension Plan, OAS, Old Age Security, possibly a other pensions. So quite often they're taxed at 30% and sometimes greater. So the, if you had to do a quick, quick and dirty financial plan, and I don't suggest this is your only financial planning, but just to get an idea, first thing you need to do is add up all your RSPs, 
all your TFSAs and your non-registered money. Just come up with a figure. And let's say it adds up to 500,000. Okay, nice even number. And then you think, okay, how much after my Canada pension, old, old age security, and any other pensions I might have, how much does that give me per year? And what shortfall am I missing here? Mm -hmm. And you have to work this basically at an after-tax rate, mm -hmm. okay? So you say, okay, what am I missing? So let's say you had a $500,000 portfolio and say, you know what? To live this lifestyle, I need 50,000 a year out of this money. Well, first of all, you gotta give yourself a return. So the return, you should look at what's your real return. Don't look at a gross return. And what the difference is, a gross return means what they show. So let's say the rate of return is 4%. Mm -hmm. Well, if inflation is 3%, your real rate of return is only 1%, yeah. okay? So let's say if you got a 1.5% real rate of return after inflation, that's not bad. But it also means that you cannot be in only guaranteed investments. You have to be in stocks. Yeah. You have to have a, a part of your portfolio in stocks because bonds, GICs, term deposits, bank accounts, any of the fixed income investments, generally do, they don't beat inflation. Right. They'd be a 0% rate mm -hmm. of return, sometimes even a negative rate of return. So you have to have a balanced portfolio, including stocks and bonds. And so let's say you got 1.5% in your portfolio and you're drawing it out at 50,000 a year. Well, you're 65, that means your money's gonna last for 10.8 years. Mm -hmm. You're gonna make it to 76 and you're gonna run out. Not probably a good idea. So what you can do though, is you can get more aggressive. And let's say you can get 3% real rate of return. Well, that means you'll last for 13 years. It only adds an extra two more years. So taking all this means it's not the returns that's the problem, it's you're spending too much money. Yeah. Okay, you have to lower your lifestyle. And what's happening is a lot of people are going into retirement now with mortgages. And a lot of this need of income per month is based on debt payment. Yeah. Whereas in the old days, kind of the Beaver Cleaver days, mortgage was free, car was paid off. In fact, generally you bought a car, was the last thing you bought before you retired, so yeah. you go in debt free. That's not really the case now. So then let's lower it a bit. Well, let's say if you said, I'm gonna only take 40,000 a year out of this money. Well, then your money would last 14 years. In 16 years, if you got 3% over inflation, still not great. Mm -hmm. It means you're, you're at 65, you're gonna last to about, oh, 81 mm -hmm. in, the, in the best case scenario. Not bad, you can probably do that. Getting better. Getting better. <laughs> kind of a sweet spot here though. And again, it gets better from here. Let's say you're taking 30,000 out per year on a $500,000 portfolio. That's a 6% withdrawal rate. Still high in my books. And if you got 1.5% above inflation, that means your money would last for 19 years. Mm. Okay, so that would take 84. you to about 85, yep. 84. Yep. But let's say you got 3% above your rate, rate of return. Now it goes up to 24, it was a five year extra mm -hmm. because of the rate of, rate of return being higher. So now you're actually, your return is actually counting because now you're not taking out so much money so right, fast. Right. It makes a difference. And kind of the rule of thumb is to take out 4%, 4% rule and adjust up by inflation every year. And if you did that, that would be $20,000 $20, mm -hmm. on a $500,000 portfolio. That means your money would last you for 31 years. Mm -hmm. Well, 31 years, okay, that puts you right up there into the 95. And funny enough, you sound, oh, I'll never live to 95. Stats are that if you're a married couple, one of the two of you, I think it's in one out of four chances. So 25% really? of the chance, one of you will live to in their 90s. Do you think so that now, information will spawn divorce? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not financial, is it? 
So we have to convince people, how do you not yeah. spend 50 grand a year? How do you only spend 20 grand a year? Yeah. And, wow. and can you maintain your standard of living? And is that going to be, are you going to have enough fun? Wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's a fun, <laughs> fun factor still. The dialogue Somebody's going to say, oh, I'd rather run out of money at 75 and <laughs> have a lot of fun. Well, wait till you're 75, then you're yeah. not going to think. Yeah. <laughs> That's Nobody a great idea. Nobody can ever think of themselves at 75 no. No. when they're 65. And just like we're, say, currently 54, mm-hmm. okay, to see us at... 64, Shh. it's hard to think that yeah. way. Even though we see, Andy and I see these people every day, yeah. we're still 54. Yeah. So, and, and, and really- then Only the your clients are getting older. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're frozen in time. My, my, my mirror says differently. Yeah. And that's why we're on radio. <laughs> but it is interesting, the lower the, re, the lower the withdrawal rate, the more return makes a bigger difference. Yeah. Mm. The high return, the, the, the high withdrawal rate, return really doesn't matter. Because you're hitting principal so heavy that you can make a really good return Mm. and you'll still run out of money. Mm. We have been planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old shows there and even ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see Thanks, you next guys. Week. See you next week.